This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. This episode, I get to sit down with Peter Flynn, a very accomplished director here in New York City. Peter and I discuss his views on life and on the business of theater. We talk about pitfalls of performers. We talk about human nature and what he's learned through uh, from that through directing. Much like Eric Woodall's episode, this is a wonderfully insightful conversation that has a lot of great takeaways for myself and I'm sure many others. So enjoy this episode and keep on keeping on. We are back, and today with me is Peter Flynn. Peter, thank you for letting me come over and talk to you for an hour. Sure, thank you for, for coming over. Yeah, of course, of course. I was li- okay, so I was. I opened my my book here with all the questions. I opened it to a random page this morning, and a quote popped up on the page there, and it said, "Life is a full contact sport," and I feel like that epitomizes you. And I say that because when you were my uh, professor at Stella Adler. Your succinctness, your specificity, your to the point, your no runaround was incredibly inspiring. And it affected me not only within the art of performing, but in my own life. Mm. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about so much more. Um, First, though, I want to take it back to growing up for you. Curious. Uh, Hobbies. What hobbies did you, were you a part of, did you partake in as a child? Sure. I was a horseback rider uh, starting at nine years old. Did you grow up on a... No, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. I was in New Jersey. And instead of enrolling me in Boy Scouts, my parents enrolled me in something no longer in existence called the Junior Essex Troop of Cavalry. And it was run by the American Legion. And it was for young men ages nine to 18. And you did three things. You rode and took care of horses. You marched and drilled uh, army regulation marches, mm-hmm. and you learned how to shoot twenty-two caliber rifles. Oh my goodness! And we wore army fatigues and riding boots, and uh, I did that for about four years of my childhood, and it was how old remarkable. Were you? Uh, from nine to about thirteen. Was that overnight, or was that like a no? Thing? It was a two, twice a week uh, event. So once after school on mm-hmm. Wednesday afternoons, I would go and you. Uh, on the shorter days, uh, after school, you'd have a riding lesson. You'd have to take care of the horse. You'd have to take care of the stable. So we were, we were responsible for everything: mucking out the stables, feeding the horses, making sure that they were clean, making sure that the stable was clean, making sure that the uh, human being latrines were clean. Um, and then we would march. We would do um, army maneuvers and and formations, and. Uh, and that was the short day. And then the longer day was all of that for longer, but then included a session at the armory where we would learn how to shoot 22s. Was this like a finishing school kind of thing? Or was this sort of, a, like but, a dude you know, ranch? A temporary, no, it was more it like a finishing. It doesn't sound like a dude ranch. No, no, no. It, was, no, it definitely wasn't a dude ranch. It was, no, it was definitely more like a young men's school. You know, mm. I grew up every Saturday, we were there from eight in the morning to two in the afternoon and you had the first thing you did was company formation and you would be inspected by your drill sergeant who was usually a young man older than myself yeah so when i was nine i was a recruit and then i got promoted to be a private and i went all the way through sergeant first class before i stopped going but the ranks went as far as uh i think major was the 
oldest young man I knew, and he was a senior in high school. And I stopped when I got into high school because I started doing more performing arts. With most Okay, so most of the kids that you're doing... I didn't know this about yeah. you. So this is like, I have so yeah. many questions regarding it. Most of the kids that were doing it with you, was this a setup for them to go to the military? No. This was something that their parents found either through the American Legion or yeah. through living in the suburbs of New Jersey and either liked it because of the discipline or because of the horseback training. Um, my father found it because of the horseback training. My father grew up on a farm in western New York, very rural. Uh, Where in New York? Uh, Granville, New York. It's a very small no, town. And um, Okay. So, yeah, so so Saturdays would start with us being inspected by our drill sergeant. So the night yeah. before, we would have to polish our riding boots, which go up to the shin, uh, black polish and buff them so that they shined. We had uh, uh, bronze epaulet medallions and uh, a belt buckle, brass belt buckles. So we'd have to polish that all as well. We'd have to press our uniform and you would be inspected first and if you got a demerit your platoon got a demerit and something that day would go away maybe it was 10 minutes extra on the horse or oh, wow. no rifle privileges that day or more stable time at the end of the day so prior to nine was there a lot of dare i say discipline in your life or did that kind of begin through the class there was discipline in my life my mom um was um a, a depression era baby she was born in 1929 and so she grew up with a lot of rigor around her so she grew she was born at a time when the country was in financial crisis and then she became aware of herself as a teenager during world war ii and that also had a lot of stringent limitations on it and wow. so my family life had a lot of structure to it from the very from my earliest memories are there standout things she taught you in regards to I might be making this word up, frugality or being frugal, not oh, spending too much. Oh, absolutely. You know. And not just in money either. You know, occasionally when I was growing up, New Jersey would be under a water emergency and they would say, you know. He did quotation marks for people. <laughs> well, because, you know, what I could tell from friends in school was their families were conserving as in they're not using the dishwasher, they're not putting the sprinkler on for the grass, Things like that. Yeah. In my house, my mother would have the uh, water that spilled out of the first load of uh, wash, of laundry, yeah. instead of into the drain, into buckets. And then we would carry the buckets up to the various bathrooms we had in our house and flush the commode with the spillover from the laundry water. We would take what's called Navy showers, which means you turn them on, you get yourself wet, you turn them off, you wash, up. you turn it back on, you wash off, you you know. So yeah. when my mom heard there was a water emergency, we did not use water. Oh my <laughs> That's so crazy. So we were... Not crazy at all. I mean, well, someone like, called, yes, yeah. indeed. But, uh, but so there was a, a real um, practicality to growing up with my mom. There was a real efficiency yeah. and a practicality. We knew exactly why we did everything we did in the house. Saturday chores, homework, going to uh, church, making our own meals, yeah. water emergencies. Yeah. We always knew this is why this is occurring. She was a great context giver, but then she was also a great example of follow through. Okay. So she's a great context giver, great example of follow So follow through being like once she starts something, Oh yeah, she completes it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You finish, you finish what you set up to do. Period yeah. in my house. I love that. So, what did they teach you about work ethic? 
parents, they. Sure. Mom or dad. Mom and dad, you know, they both taught me perseverance. They both taught me live by your word. Mm. And they all go together, right? You know, I'm going to teach this class. I'm going to teach this class moving into the business from being a student actor. I'm going to do that in these four ways. Mm. I will prepare myself so that I'm ready to do those four ways. It takes me such this much time to prepare for that. Yeah. It takes me this much time to do that. Have I done that by the end? Are there any questions? Do do other people feel like it has been fulfilled? Yeah. So it's a very there was a very like I said it was a very rigorous household in which to grow up. The other anecdote I can give, which was about. Um, efficiency and order and structure was uh, Christmas morning. You know, Christmas morning, on the one hand, my my parents taught me organization and structure and also a sense of wonder and really theater. Because on the one hand, when we went down to our living room on Christmas morning, the fire grate was tossed aside against a bookcase. There were two big footprints in the soot in the middle of the fireplace. Those footprints walked across the carpet to the tree. There were candy canes hung on the tree where there weren't the night before. There was, a, of course, a letter in response to the one we had left them, but the edges were always singed. Like it looked like a pirate map. It had this calligraphy on it. It was, there was like, no... I'm getting goosebumps over this. Right, right there now. was no question that Santa had visited our house. The experience of him in the room was palpable. So that was wonder and theater. Now, on the flip side, when we all woke up, when we all woke up Christmas morning, we all had to take showers. We all had to get dressed. My sister and I sat on the landing while my parents finished getting dressed. We would look through the banister to see what was down there. Couldn't go down. We would go down after we were all dressed and showered. We would open our stockings, which of course had the quotidian, like the new toothbrush. Yeah. An orange. Oh, I got the same thing. Batteries. Yeah. You know, things not things too you impressive. Need. Exactly. <laughs> You'd finish that. Yeah. We'd walk past the tree with all the presents into the dining room where we would make breakfast, eat breakfast, clean the dishes for breakfast, and then go back to open a Why? Present. Why that order? That was the Never, way we did. That, that's was just just the, that was just Christmas morning. Do you believe discipline equals freedom? I think, I don't believe in absolutes in any part of my life. And so I believe there are traits and tools of discipline Hmm. that are opportune for broader thinking and more opportunity in doing. That's taken me a second to think about there. Okay. I think I understand what you're saying. I think there are ways to use discipline, whether it is... Uh, physical discipline in training yourself yeah. or disciplining a community like a caste or a family yeah. that when given context and specificity and this is why we are focusing this rigorously in this limited amount of time or behavior or activity that we realize there's an opportunity at the end of it which is a terrific show yeah. or a magical day. So you can imagine the frustration my sister and I to bring it back to Christmas you yeah. know like Waiting for our parents to get dressed, huh. finishing just the stockings, then going to have breakfast, doing the breakfast dishes, then going back to open a present one at a time. Yeah. So we, oh, my father would hand them out. Now, what did that discipline give us? A whole day of Christmas. Oh yeah. Because you can imagine we didn't open our first Christmas gift till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. 
And when we finished opening our presents, just as we wanted to dig into one, which was sort of fun, it was time to go to our bigger family to have Christmas there. And we had more presents there sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, so that discipline yeah. gave us a whole day of Christmas. I noticed that in hindsight. Wow. Right? Yeah. So, so sure, discipline can lead to freedom. How is it doing that? And does everybody get that? Yeah. And to what degree? Right. It's different per person, what right. degree they need to. So I understand your question. I'm I'm a simpleton from Long Island, New York, so that it takes sense. me a second. Yeah. That makes sense okay, to me. Great. I it resonates with me. Cool. Okay. I love the theatrics that you described on Christmas morning. Mm. So I want to talk about one more second, then I promise we'll get into entertainment. Uh, oh, no, this is all entertainment. Um, what did believing do for you? It always pointed to a world larger than myself. There was something beyond me, what I could see, what I could think, what I could even anticipate yeah. going on outside of myself. Yeah. It, 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 it stimulated my understanding that there were things beyond my ken, things beyond my perspective, that were possibly in existence and always going on around me. And that gave me the hunger to understand more about my world. Mm. I love that answer because I was thinking about this the other day and believing in those, you know, growing up as a child, having, you know, believing in the tooth fairy, believing in the Easter bunny, believing in Santa, believing in all that. And I was like, what did that do for me? It's that sense of wonder, that yeah. sense of like, oh, yeah. there just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. That's right. Kind of thing. That's right. Oh, I love that. Okay, let's get into, so shows. I want to talk about first, first show for you that you were a part of in, what was it? Where was it? Sure. How I was in go? fourth grade okay. and I played Charlie Brown and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Oh, great. Yeah. Was there auditions? Uh, there was weren't, like a... actually. No, I, it's um, theater kept through my life has always been presented to me as, would you like to do this? And so the sense of invitation around theater keeps me grateful and uh, exhilarated to do it more. Yeah. So what I mean about that is, I didn't know that there was a musical going on until my parents said, your music teacher called, they're going to be doing a play. It's actually a play with music based on the Charlie Brown comic strip. They're interested in you playing Charlie Brown, would you like to try it? And I said, sure. And so I guess our first rehearsal was a quasi audition. I'm sure they would not have kept me or my friends in the roles we played right. if we were tanking, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but that's what it was. It was huh. an invitation of, does this interest you? Would you like to do it more? Yeah. I and mean, I said, sure. And it was great. It was natural and simple and process. And yeah. process became my perpetual stimulant fourth grade how old is that nine nine years so old. that's when you were doing the the horse yeah the horse game. yeah at the same time so yeah that's so interesting to me because having a combination of discipline within the arts i mm. think is so you can achieve so much There's yes, so it's so interesting absolutely. how much you can create yes in a short amount of time with discipline in yes. the arts because yes. time and art don't exactly yes they don't go together that is true well yes they do but yeah mm -hmm. uh, and I say that in relation to like a rehearsal process mm -hmm. you can like the clock will just fly off the mm -hmm. wall and how fast it goes did you have any mentors growing up I did uh, there was a priest at my church he was very young his name was 
uh, Charlie Farrell. And I loved his perspective because he broke down belief in a daily structure, meaning yes, there was God and yes, there was the big Catholic church and a lot of stuff that to this day I still don't understand. Uh But then there was, how are you today? What are you doing to be aware of others? Does it occur to you to help others? How do you feel at the end of your day? And those principles got instilled by this very simple, charismatic man. How are you? How's everybody around you? Any inclination to help that? Yeah. How are you doing at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, he also introduced the arts to me past theater. He um, uh, took a class of us to the cloisters to hear a string quartet play. And so it was a marriage of here are all of these religious relics and pieces of art, um, the unicorn tapestries, etc. And then this. It's beautiful if anyone oh, goes. Oh, it's remarkable. Top you know, of the island. Yeah. Island. And it is the, t- the top of Manhattan in so many ways. And there was a string quartet playing. And so he introduced um, classical music, instrumental music uh, to me, and um, socialization. Did you play an instrument ever growing up? I studied piano for a couple of years, enough that it actually helped me with reading music when I became a theater musician, singer, or a director. When did you decide to go into theater? Was there a moment where you decided to go into theater full on, full steam ahead? So to continue the invitation that theater presented to me, I from that first show, continued to do plays and musicals in school uh, throughout my public school education. And uh, my junior year in high school, my parents and I were at dinner and the subject of going to college arose. And they said, where do you think you'd like to go and what do you think you'd like to do? And I said, Hmm. because everyone around me, including those with whom I was rehearsing and performing, were going into journalism or law, I said rather doggedly, well, journalism or law, probably something like that. And I'll never forget it. My parents looked at each other and very quietly then turned to me and said, that's interesting. We just thought you'd be interested in pursuing theater. And it was the moment I realized, oh, people actually do this for a living or actually do this with their life. And that was, to this day, I remember as if I was looking at my parents and all of a sudden somebody took my binoculars and widened them out and I saw the whole world behind them. It was that profound of, oh, you mean what I'm doing regularly and naturally and personally can be what I pursue Mm. and actually bring me a living and well-being? Yes, please. I'd like to do that. Wow. And so I started to apply to theater universities and, and, and programs. Yeah. And from there, really hit it hard. Yeah. We're going to... Okay. Okay. So we're going to do a little jumping around here because my next question for you is about directing mm. because you do a lot of that mm. and I want to talk about that. Mm. Although I would be... Is remiss the word to mention that we're going to be skipping a lot between college and directing. Sure. So I'm kind of curious if we could just touch on maybe any standout moments, you know, like, I don't know how to like sum this up but in a few moments of anything stand out in your mind lessons learned through college slash entering the workplace of theater and that journey into directing like when you decided directing so this is a large question sure i'm asking it's like eight questions in there sure there are it's so interesting i just went back to northwestern university where i attended uh we did a big gala to help raise 
awareness and, and support for a new master's program in their acting uh, department. And so a lot of us came back. And what I learned there really greeted me at the door when I saw all of my colleagues and a couple of my professors who were still there. Yeah. And really the two things overall that I learned among dozens of nuanced pieces of learning were show up, show up, be the person in the room. If you're not there, it doesn't happen, at least for you personally. What I mean by that is when I show up, I'm the one that gets to rehearse or I'm the one that gets picked to work on the scene today, not somebody who decided not to come to class or go to the audition because somebody else decided not to come to the audition. So you'll be seen or show up for the meeting of the new student organization that's going to start producing. And all of a sudden, there was a rather large part of my student career for the next four years was this student organization. And I produced plays as well as directed them mm -hmm. and performed in them and built sets for them. Show up I, is what continually, and it showed up in the contrast as well. When I didn't show up, almost immediately I would hear about some conversation or experience or opportunity that went down that I completely missed. And it was all on me. Mm. Now, of course, there were times it was like me and my 104 degree fever, fever, you know, or me with my car that didn't start in the minus 32 degree weather. Right. You know, those are circumstances. But at least those came with a little bit of cold comfort of that's called circumstance. That's called, that just happened. Yeah. But if there were ever times, as we all have, especially in making the human evolutionary step between young person being guided by family and or faculty or adults to complete independent on our own, right. we will make the misstep of, yeah, that's not important. They don't need my voice in that. I'm too tired. You know what? Better to chill. Nine times out of 10, Clay, there was a moment when I would miss something that I'd say, yep, that's why I wanted to be there for that show or for that organization that just got created. Did that happen? Was that cultivated over the first year or is this something right away? Perpetually. Oh, no, 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 no. It took, no, it took, I would say at many least. Many missed chances. Yeah, yeah. It was many missed chances and many, many chosen chances, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so the, at least through the first half of, of school unconsciously and then very consciously in the rest of school. Yeah. You know, there becomes a, there comes a point in, in, I think in everybody's life where we are confronted with either an abundance of, hey, these opportunities are really great, or why do I keep missing this? Both of them present a moment where we get conscious and say, why does this keep happening? For I, better or for worse. I like that. I would consider that the universe speaking to you. Yeah. Yes. And it's experience. It's, mm. it's experience. It's, uh, I had a teacher that once said, it's the mouse in the maze. You know, you put cheese at the end of a, of, a, of a maze for a mouse and you put it there six times, they will always go down that maze. Take the cheese away, they will always go down that maze. Where's the cheese? Where's the cheese? Where's the cheese? The difference between the mice and us is we have a moment of consciousness where we go, maybe there's no cheese there. Maybe I should try another maze. Huh. Maybe I'm not looking for cheese anymore. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it, it is a moment of consciousness that we, we either get to use or not. But we all get presented with moments of consciousness 
as simple as, why does this keep happening? In a good way or a bad way. That's a moment of consciousness. But we have to be conscious enough to go, aha. If I'm asking that question, then I am begging to know more. And usually to shift. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. Why does this keep happening? Are you asking that rhetorically? Or are you actually hearing that question? So you can say, well, I usually peter out around 4 or 5 p.m. Thursday and Fridays. I get tired. Okay, let's break that down, even anthropologically. Well, Thursday and Fridays are the biggest course load. Of course you tire out. But they also have the greatest opportunity that night because those are two student organizations I really want to attend. So I can pick one. I can do both. Maybe I grab a nap. Maybe I get some more food. Maybe I reschedule some of my classes. You know, like once you get conscious with why does this keep happening, you now have tools with which you can choose differently. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing is breaking patterns. Yes. Breaking the, you know, what... um, because we go through life with so many patterns. There's so many patterns. Yes. We have a pattern. We wake up, we do this, we yes. do that, we do that. But you have the choice to break that. Absolutely. You can break out of it up, break out of it going down, whichever way you want to go. So this is very interesting to me. Yes. Because the consciousness of yes. realizing, oh, there's something, there's a reason why I'm not completing this task. Yes. Why? Yes. And it's simple as a why. Yes. And following through on that why. Why? Well... I'm tired. Okay. Why? Well, big day those two days in the example I just used. Yeah. Okay. Why? Lots of coursework. Okay. Can that shift? No. Is there a moment before I want to go to this next thing where I can either rest, rejuvenate, or eat? Sure. Here and here. Oh, I'm not doing that. A colleague of mine who is in casting gives a great example of an actor who was coming in for auditions, nailing it, then wasn't there and then about a year later came back and was nailing it again and she said where'd you go you're terrific and he said i was not nailing auditions and i didn't know why and it really took me down and it shook me to my core and when i was able to evaluate and stand still and realize what it was i was drinking too much coffee in the morning but i couldn't identify it at first because it came off as anxiety and uncertainty and fear But then when I broke down my days of why am I feeling like this, I realized, well, my heart's racing and I'm a little scattered. Let me see what I'm doing in the morning while I'm jogging, while I'm eating, while I'm drinking coffee and I'm drinking coffee and I'm drinking coffee and I'm drinking coffee. Oh, maybe it's the coffee. Hmm. And so I had to get off coffee. So instead of being overwhelmed by apoplexy or anxiety or fear, he did the rigorous task of why does this keep happening? Let me take a look at it really Thoroughly and specifically, oh, it's just this one simple thing. Let me try it. Yes, there's a difference. I feel better. Let me get back to work. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, I have two examples which lead to one question. Uh, someone per se who has work they need to complete at home they get home and they never complete it because they fall into like the social media trap or the computer trap or the television trap slash someone who wants to lose weight but continues to snack those are patterns there's a way to change that by asking why 
And then my next question is, why don't they change that? I think you've already answered this, though, because they're not following through. Well, first of all, I will say again, there are no absolutes, meaning someone not losing weight and someone not following through on work is going to have a different reason and a different set of circumstances and choices per person. Right. So I would start my answer with, well, I don't know actually. Hmm. It takes knowing the person and their circumstances Mm. and their wants Mm. more thoroughly to actually understand why. In the case of losing weight, is it a chemical imbalance? Is it uh, an age? Being some, as we all do, as we age, our bodies change. And some requirements change as well. Um, Getting work done, is it, you know, that's a little bit more tangible because we all have places we live and places we work. Is it the living environment? Is it um, your family environment? Hmm. You know, um, does it help? And and then at some point, there's always a moment in how do we change a pattern where talking to someone else, I find in my work and and life experience, will help. Hmm. What do you do? Yeah. What would you do in this? Let me give you these circumstances. Let me give you this experience. This is what keeps happening. Mm. Have you experienced that? Yes or no. And what would you do mm. if you were me? And being open to that. To know that without any sentiment, community is an opportunity for momentum and progress. Community is an opportunity for momentum and progress. Yeah. To 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 love lean that. into the community and say, I love that. Have has this happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. I and I and I I do. I must apologize. I didn't mean to throw that on you with like having an absolute answer. It just it, I have a personal fascination with breaking habits because yes. I have habits. Yeah. Some of which I love. Some of which I'm like I need to change. That's right. <laughs> but it's less so it's for me in my experience. It's less about looking at the habits, Clay, and more looking at the quality of life. Meaning if we look at habits, it's like looking at a hammer when you're trying to build a house. Look at the house. You'll find out whether the hammer is right to build that house. Right? If you look at the hammer, you're going to just look at the hammer and go, well, it's heavy in my hand and does it hit the right nail? I'm not sure. Well, the head looks big, but I'm not sure what size the nail are. Get into the house and start nailing nails. You will find out whether it's the right tool or not. So to just look at the habit is not looking at the greater perspective of what is the habit giving you or what is the habit keeping from you, right? So how is your day? What is the habit giving you? What is the habit keeping from right. you? Right, Got it. I'm a runner. Mm. I like to run. I run an occasional marathon, but I run regularly. I run five out of seven days a week. It is a habit. I am very aware of what it gives me. And on a semi-regular occasion I'm aware of what it keeps from me it takes up time I must shower afterwards uh, if I am uh, 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 under the weather it is as much as my heart and my mind want to go run because I'm that compulsive about it mm. it's not a good time to run and I have indeed made myself sicker right for the yes. most part though the habit gives me clarity of mind health of body 
calm presence in my day. Yeah. So I can look at my day and say, why am I feeling so good? Which, P.S., is under the umbrella of why does this keep happening to me? Happening to me? Calm presence in the room, healthy body, clear mind. Why does this keep happening to me? Oh, partly because I went running this morning. Okay, that's a good habit. Now I am aware of what it is giving me. I am aware of how jogging is building my house. Yeah, yeah. Right? I love that analogy because you so often hear, look at the bigger picture, look at the bigger picture, look at the larger picture. Look yeah. at but it's the, really honestly taking a look at the larger picture. Sure. I love that analogy. Yeah, but for what reason, right? You know, that that's the other problem with, um, with uh, aphorisms and, and wise sayings is they become... Um, valued for their saying alone. Instead of look at the big picture, well, first of all, what is the big picture? Why are you looking at it? For what are you looking? How does the way you are living or looking at it affect what for what you're looking? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Right? So, so instead of like, look at the big picture. Well, that's my career. Right? <laughs> Some people sort of check off the box right there. Well, yeah. I've looked at the big picture and I'm talking about my career in New York for the next 10 years. Yeah. Instead of, okay, let's break that down. Yeah. I would hazard anyone, no absolutes, parentheses, I would hazard anyone looking at 10 years is sometimes not as useful as looking at the next 18 months. Hmm. What is under your control between now? It's May now. What's in your control between now and November of 19? Because it's gonna go by, go by like that, yeah. right? So, what are you looking at in your big picture? Yeah, over which you have, if not control, some impact. Mm. That is completely manageable. Okay, I didn't write this down, but you're bringing up a great point that I want to talk about. And I'm gonna start it with a quote because there's something that comes to mind. But this is something you talked about at Sal Adler, and I absolutely loved it. Um, so the quote is: "You're born to win, but in order to win, you must." prepare to win, plan to win, and expect to win. And this, and I say you brought this up at Stella because, you know, the idea for a lot, many musical theater people, not all, is Broadway. Broadway, Broadway, Broadway. But then you have someone in your class and they don't know what's happening there, who they're like, where they could work there. Or they might not even be giving themselves full-on permission to deserve that goal curious if you can expand on that for a second with in in the themes of per giving yourself permission yes i think what you're describing it's not a full question i didn't ask right. you a question i brought I, up something and yeah, i'm curious if it resonates totally with you so i appreciate yeah, sure, you rolling with it <laughs> of course yeah of course well it resonates with me in that i think what you're talking about is process and can we be aware of the process we are in uh. and creating and is it leading us where we want to go? Um, and what is our definition of winning? You know, like if winning the race is appearing on Broadway, that's great. And have that, have that desire, have that goal. To have just the finish line of quote unquote Broadway I would offer to anyone isn't enough to cross the finish line. What does Broadway look like to you? What was the last Broadway show you saw? What was the last Broadway audition you went on? What are you reading about people who are working on Broadway? What is it about Broadway 
that appeals to you so you can know it better and you can call it to you sooner more often. Mm. What I mean by that great is... Great answer yeah. for me not giving a question. Well, you know, <laughs> but, you know but it's true because, you know, look, especially in our business, in, in, the, in the entertainment industry, in the arts industry, it, we all deal in something from nothing. Really something from nothing. You know, there is no blueprint for a multi-unit house. There is no algorithm for uh, investment return. There is no, if you take the liver out, your body can't process the cleanliness of your blood, right? Like there is no, this does this. We start with, hey, I have an idea. It's a story about um, an alternate look at the Wicked Witch of the West, which is the original story that was written, you know, so even in, 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 in literature, it starts with, I have an idea. Mm. Now, right there, that person can either say, here's what the idea is. Let me write it down. Let me put it into my computer. Let me talk about it with someone else. Let me paint it. Let me try it. Let me play it. Let me improv it. Or that's a great idea. After I have lunch, I'll get back to it. That's a crucial moment. Now, maybe you just finished running or you just finished and you need to eat. You eat. The circumstances. Right, the circumstances. But I would say a majority of times we all have the moment of, hey, in our business, hey, I have an idea. And that pivotal moment of let me pursue it even for the next 10 to 15 minutes. Or it's a great idea. Glad I had it. I should probably X instead. Hmm. Right? So that's the first, that's causality right there, right? right? But if you're if you're really talking about, you know, Broadway, what is it about Broadway that appeals to you? And I will suggest that anyone looking at the goal of Broadway, if you really break down what is appealing about Broadway, you will find attributes and ways of living that extend beyond Broadway. Then you start pursuing those. Then Broadway comes as a byproduct of pursuing a way of life. You're going to make me fall out of this chair. No, because you're so right. What do you think it's going to give you? Right. That feeling can be achieved right? without the you know material idea of it alone. Right. Like, why do people buy a lot of nice clothes? Right. Right. That whole thing. Like, why exactly. do we why do you eat a lot of ice cream? Restaurant? Why do you decide you want to go, you know, like, mm. I would like to go to the south of France to experience the sun on that beach. Okay. Can you do that today? No. What can you do today? Well, I can do anything from and I mean this really tangibly, write down specifically why that feels good to me. Well, the sand in my toes, the warmth on my face, the soft clothing instead of this muffler that I have to wear around my throat. Um, you know, a cold drink instead of a hot drink. Um, a sunglasses. Um, the smell of suntan oil. Any of that. All the way to, oh, well, maybe I'll just hit the beach, you know, at Coney. Or the Jersey Shore. Right. And now you are valuing the elements that come along with the South of France. Here's the thing. You're getting fulfillment sooner, but you're also drawing what you want ultimately to you sooner because you are looking for the quality of the experience instead of the brand of the experience. Oh, I could scream. <laughs> this is so great because and I and I I uh, humans can think uh, we're like the only species on Earth. That can think a thought and become angry. Think a thought, become happy. Think a thought, 
become you know aroused whatever you can think that you don't even have to human doesn't even have to experience something they can literally just think it and once you have that feeling already without actually getting the like i already am you know someone on the surface say like i want to be rich well you already are what is that to you right right and as a result other things will line up. Well, just... yes. So I would say it's two things, Clay, actually. I think it's the thinking of the thought. Right. So consideration is really what sets us apart and is a very special gift we have, which is our consciousness, our ability to consider. You know, because not being another species, I don't think, I don't know if dogs or horses or tigers or kangaroos think... I mean, I, they have they, they, they have a brain that gets them to food and gets them to each other. Um, but past thought and impulse, we have consideration. Well, what is this? I think that's what I meant. Well, why is this? Well, <laughs> yeah. how is this, right? Yeah. You know, so we have consideration, which is one thing. And that is, like you said, it's a very, and you're so smart to say it. It's, 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 a, it's a valued gift we have. But the second thing I'd say is we have the consciousness to do. So sure, you can conjure the experience for which you are looking, but you also have the capacity to do something toward the experience you literally tangibly want to have. Do you want sun on your face? Well, as of today, this day you and I are having, go outside. Mm. It is a sunny day. Be conscious of that experience. Well, I'm four blocks away from a public beach on the Hudson River. I'm going to start there. And already I'm changing my day based on what I want. Is it the south of France? No, but it is literally one step closer to the experience the south of France brings because I looked for it within my ability and within my circumstance. Hmm. So just get closer. Hmm. So where Broadway is concerned, what do you like about Broadway? Which shows in the current season do you like? Why do you like them? Is it because you like to dance that way? Is it because your voice sits in that place of the song that you enjoy? Is it because you like the relationship of the dialogue of that? Great. Have you been to Drama Bookstore to pick up that script and try it out loud? Have you gone to uh, Broadway Dance Center and tried out one of their classes where someone from Broadway is always, I mean always, teaching? Right now. Have, right, exactly. Right now. Have you found a, a voice teacher, whether in, it's in your learning uh, institution or on your own, that can help you feel what it's like to manifest that song in your voice? What are you doing to A, satisfy the want and also prepare yourself for the goal? They happen hand in hand. Yeah. That's going to bed more fulfilled and closer. Yeah. I don't, I don't, good. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Uh, except that we really should continue on our journey here of this conversation. Wow. That's wow. I'm leaving it there. Okay. Changing gears. Special moments at special events. I read that you've directed a bunch of galas and special mm. events. Mm. I'm curious. Have you had any interesting conversations at the bar oh. after a performance at a special event? Run into anyone in particular that... Anything that stands out in mind? Sure. Um, special events are indeed well-named because they are moments usually built around helping an organization. And so everyone there, celebrities, actors, 
performers who are in the ensemble, designers, directors, writers, if there's one attached, we are all there to make sure the evening goes well so that the organization is better. So already, all egos or expectations usually are fundamentally off the table because everyone's been asked there anyway mm. or volunteered. So there's a, there's a foundation of generosity and hope for goodwill, right? Yes. So the conversations around that are really special, um, usually not at the bar afterwards and usually more while we're in rehearsal, you know, while someone's standing still to say, you know, Miss Jessie Norman, will you stand right there for a moment? We're just going to light you. And me standing next to her and saying, first of all, thank you for being here. And do you need anything right now? You know, that act of both service and communication then opens up, oh, I'm fine, thank you. How do you know this organization? And then we start that conversation. Oh, and then all of a sudden, all roads lead to a person and activity that is kindred between us. And we now have the human experience of, oh, I'm, I'm glad you relate to this place the way I do. You yeah. know, um, I did a, a special event at Ford's Theater um, where I brought my son uh, as my assistant because it was going to be a down and dirty day and really my assistant needed to be somebody I could just say, hey, go get this person backstage or take this note down and you talk to the lighting designer later or we need water for those performers right now. And I knew Hudson was reliable and willing and wanted to be there for the day. And all roads led to a moment when, um, you know, General Colin Powell needed to be brought on stage and no one was around because we were all trying to handle something. And I said to Hudson, would you find General Powell for me? Oh my God. (laughs) So Hudson came walking out on stage with, General Colin Powell, who then started reading the teleprompter, and it was the, the the narrative that was before him that was meant for a woman. And so he just started reading it and knew he was reading the wrong teleprompter, and we all busted out laughing. And he said, well, I can read this if you want me to, but I don't think it fits me as well. You know, and all of a sudden, we're all having a very human, social moment. And, you know, my son saying to him, do you need anything else right now? Thank you very much, you know. And so, and then we all get to talk backstage. And, and it was General Powell who said, well, why don't we take a picture, Hudson and me, just to make sure that we both remember this day. Oh, my and so things like that happen. Yeah. Or um, Josh Groban doing chess for the very first time and his very first theatrical moment um, on stage, I think since he had been in uh, college, maybe high school. And so that experience of, well, what do you need? And what is this like? And you've got a lot of people around you. And, you know, is there anything you need to put in place? And so Julia Murney, who is one of the most generous co-stars, and Adam Adam Pascal, you know, between the two of them, Josh was in great hands. And just to watch everyone come together, not only for the organization, but to make sure Josh had a splendid experience of working on stage. Those are the special moments. You know, they come from all of us wanting to be there to make sure it goes well. Of course. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I want to take a moment here because you mentioned your son as your assistant. And I got to watch that a little bit at Stella Adler. <laughs> that the relationship between the two of you when it comes to the professional side of him helping you is so incredible. 
Mm. I think that's all I want to say about mm. it. It's just incredible. The relationship is incredible. And I saw that without, you know, this try not to be too emotional here, but that's the kind of relationship I would like to have with my son. Mm. Clearly you can see the love, mm. but without saying, please, you can tell him to move a chair and he doesn't take it personally. And he is there Johnny on the spot. Sure. He's there to work. He's sure. just there. Well, I, I hope that comes from this, a similar place of um, wonder and desire to make something larger than us happen. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's one thing I, I hope and know Andrea and I have given our son is there is a world larger than you. It is perpetually wonderful. And the more you lean into offer how it gets better, the more wonderful it becomes without any sentiment. I mean that as tangibly, mm. almost pedantically as possible. Wow. Yeah, I just lo I love that. Thank you. Is there common themes? Are there common themes that you find among the top performers that you're directing? Uh, and I mean this in the sense of them showing up, not just physically, but mentally, you know, being prepared, all that. Is there a are there common themes that you run across? Because you've worked with all ranges mm. of new mm. beginners, mm. seasoned vets. Mm. Are there any common themes that stand out in your mind? When it comes to like showing up for rehearsal or showing up to work? Yes, you've mentioned a couple already. Preparation, definitely. Yeah. Willingness, which comes from preparation. I feel so well prepared. I'm ready to jump in. Yeah. A yeah. sense of collaboration. You know, so preparation, willingness, a sense of collaboration. Well, I'm not the only one here who's going to make this happen. I'm a part of how this is going to happen. So how do we do this together? And personal confidence. Nothing's going to be taken away from me. I have a bounty to offer. I know why I'm here. Whether that's reputation or skill set or talent. I'd say those four. Preparation, willingness, collaboration, self-confidence to the fullest extent yes yeah. okay yeah that answers that um okay so then so andrea had mentioned to me and i noticed this reading your the vast amount of work that you've directed it's all very versatile if there's you don't you're not just the you know rogers and hammerstein you're not just the i'm curious maybe where that comes from or I don't even think I'm going to articulate this question very well. Where you where you come from in regards to being so versatile? Is that conscious for you? Is that a given for all directors? Again, not a question. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, Anything there are questions. In there. With you? No, you're asking questions. You're asking great questions, Clay. Don't Thanks. worry about. It. Yeah, Thanks, really. Um, I'll start with it's a very practical reason, which is I'm a freelance director living in New York taking care and providing for a family yeah. and a son. So I have to work. So I look for the work. Hmm. And if a job comes up, whether it's a musical or a play or a new piece or an established piece or a one-night event or even a teaching opportunity, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful. It's within the sphere in which I'd like to work. But really it's about does this help my family? Does this sustain what I need to be 
contributing as a family man hmm. living in a very expensive city. Yeah. So, so some of the versatility is where's the job? Out of necessity. And am I right for it? Right. And certainly when I was younger, that was a lot more of the drive. And so it was just applying for the job and writing the letters to artistic directors and or to writers and or producers and saying, here's my resume. This is what I'm doing right now. Would love to help. Sounds like a great opportunity. Like your theater, you know, doing all of my indeed preparation and research so I can send a, a genuinely specific letter about my genuine enthusiasm about working on it. And so from there, yes, now I do have a career that spans the all the different types of theater that you've described. Right. So so the practicality of that continues. Where is the job? But now I can also stand on skill sets that come from doing all sorts of different theater, you know, non-musical plays to musical plays and to me, it really is about two things, essentially. What is the story and who's telling it? Can I help tell that story? Does it give me fulfillment and satisfaction to help tell that story? And who are the other people telling it? And can I help them as well? And are we all going to have a good time doing it? Right? Because really, in my lifetime, not only did anybody force me into the business, I was perpetually invited into the business, which is voluntary. So I try to now marry, balance, integrate the practicality of taking jobs to sustain and, and take care of my family with, do I like the story? Can I help serve the story? Do I like the community telling the story? How can I help that community tell the story? And being an associate artist at Ford's Theater serves both. That is a magnificent community, mm. both the Ford's Theater community and the Washington, D.C. theater community. They are invested in good work and healthy relationships. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. <laughs>